You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. All right, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. Please turn to Luke 3. We're going to finish out the third chapter of Luke today. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and we will dive into what the Lord has for us. Father, again, we thank you that we can gather together to pray your word, Lord, to sing your word. And now, Lord, as we turn to open your word, to hear the proclamation of your word. Father, I I just pray for my heart and every heart that is listening, Lord, that your spirit will work in them. Lord, to see you for who you truly are, Father. Lord, that because of Christ, we're going to learn today that you are pleased with us. But when we get that deep in our hearts and we truly understand that, so much of what sin and the world around us hangs on us falls off. Father, I pray that that would be the case Maybe in some part today, we can bump the needle today. That we can live in more freedom as we live in Christ. As we live by the Spirit because of what Christ has done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, last week we spent our time together looking at the testimony of John that Jesus is God's Son. So, this last half of the chapter, there's kind of three testimonies that's happened. And they're all saying that He's God's Son. Jesus is God's Son. So, we, last week we looked kind of like at John's testimony because the question coming out of after John's kind of his, his preaching time, the question coming out of that was, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also been baptized and praying, the heavens were opened. What in the world's happening here? What's happening here? Many people were questioning. They're, they're trying to figure out what in the world's going on, right? Who is this Jesus? Who is John? Is, is he the Messiah? Is he the one to come? John says, no, no, I'm not him. I'm not him. John says to us, Jesus is mightier than me. And, and that's reflected in the, in the statement where he says, I'm not even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. Not only that, but... I know I, I'm baptizing you with water in, in regards to repentance, but Jesus has a better baptism. And the third thing that we saw that Jesus is truly the judge. So we see that Jesus is the Son of God through John's testimony. He is the Savior and He is the judge who one day will oper, uh, separate the wheat from the chaff. He will separate the wheat from the chaff. And that's what we learned last week. Today, Luke will bring to the witness stand, um, if you want to think of it that way, um, two more testimonies. Two more testimonies of, is Jesus God's son? Is he God's son? First, the father is going to testify, and then the genealogy test will testify. And, And if you want to think of it in modern terms, we might even think of it this way, like the genealogies become the DNA test. So you you have John's proclamation, you have the Father's proclamation, and then you have a DNA test that we will briefly look at at the very end, all pointing to and saying that Jesus is the Son 
of God. So first, the father, and then the genealogy test. Read with me in verse 21 and 22. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Now, I would believe it would benefit us to read Matthew's account of this same historical event. And I know I keep saying that, and I want to continue to say that, this historical event. This is a good reminder. Remember that Luke is is writing all of this so that we may have certainty in what we believe. So I just want to remind us that this is a historical event that has been captured by Luke as he goes around and he asks the witnesses that were there. Matthew's account of this same period of time reads like this, and you find this in Matthew three thirteen through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So before we get to the Father's testimony, I think that there's a question that we should ask. I mean, it's good to ask questions as we're reading of the text. That way we're just not reading it and we check it off and say, Okay, I read that. We're good. It's good to ask questions of what we're reading and why is this happening and why was this there and how come this was said in Matthew's account, but maybe not in Luke's account, what's actually happening here? So it's good to ask questions. But I mean, there's one big question here that I hope all of us, if we've read this before, or maybe we read it preparing um, for Sunday morning, that we should be asking. And that question is this, why did Jesus come to be baptized? Since John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Why was Jesus there to be baptized? He had no sin. Did Jesus have sin? So, you know, one question actually brings on some other questions. Because if he did, then we are in trouble come judgment day. Why is that? Because we have trusted in him. Through faith, we, have, we receive his righteousness. If that is flawed, then we are in trouble on judgment day. Because what we are banking on and our whole faith depends on is if Christ was a perfect, sinless sacrifice for man. That's what we're banking on. That's what we're trusting in. This righteousness is what covers us. See, men and women must have a positive record of righteous obedience in order to be citizens of heaven. That's what the Word of God tells us. And believe it or not, that is exactly why Jesus was baptized. To fulfill all righteousness. That is what Jesus said. That's, what, that's why I kind of read the, the Matthew account just to expand it and see his own words. Why was he baptized? To fulfill all righteousness. You see that in verse 15 of Matthew 3. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. So if Jesus was going to save his people from their sin, he had to render perfect obedience 
to God. He had to render his perfect obedience to God. R.C. Sproul says it like this, Christ had to keep every stipulation the Lord has given his people in order to secure a perfect righteousness for us before God. God sent John the Baptist to command the Jews to be baptized in preparation for the arrival of his kingdom. So Jesus, as our Savior, had to keep that command. That's why he was baptized. He's fulfilling the righteousness. He's following God's commands. And he did so perfectly all throughout his life. Thankfully, or we would not be justified. Which leans us into the doctrine of justification. It's being made right by what Christ has done. Paul Tripp gives us a a really good picture of justification by combining many passages together. He kind of like works them together and it goes something like this. So I know oftentimes you get to the doctrine of justification and and some people's like, oh, big word, Uh, that's not for me. But I want to try to show you how it is is relevant for you today. It'll be relevant for you five minutes from now, a day from now, a week from now. How it actually flows into the everyday things of life. Paul writes this, Those whom God calls, he also freely justifies by forgiving our sins and by counting and accepting us as righteous. We are not justified because of anything done in us or done by us, but solely because of what Christ has done for us. God does not justify us by declaring that our faith or obedience counts as righteousness. But rather, God justifies us by declaring that the obedience of Christ and his payment for our sin by grace count as ours. Some say that that's the great exchange. Jesus took our sin, we get his righteousness. So we need to receive, accept, and rest in Christ and his righteousness as the sole means of our justification. Always remembering that even our ability to believe is not from us, but is a gift of God to us. Ephesians 2 tells us that. Timothy tells us that also. So doctrine is essential to our faith. Understanding that leads to conviction, but completes itself in commitment. That's our working understanding of faith. It is understanding that leads to a conviction, but completes itself in commitment. So doctrine is what guides our understanding. Doctrine is not just for the person behind the pulpit or the person leading a Bible study. Doctrine plays out in your everyday life. Let me take a moment and just show you how the glorious truth is relevant to our everyday life. Understanding justification by grace through faith sets you free. It sets you free. Not from the wrath of God. Yes, wonderful. That is the most important thing. But it sets you free each and every day. It sets you free each and every moment as you're walking out your faith. As you're working your sanctification. How does this do this? Well, justifying grace frees you from the paralyzing burden of guilt. It frees you from the burden of of guilt. No longer do we have to live in regret, dragging the heavy load of our past sins into our present or into our future. The guilt is gone. You have been forgiven. You have been forgiven. 
No longer do we have to do, do the burdensome work of denying, minimizing, and hiding our sin. You don't have to do that anymore. It's all under the blood. His righteousness has been credited to you. Working to make our sin feel in our hearts as less than sinful. And that's the game that we play with ourselves so often. So we find loopholes or ways to say, oh, that's, that's no big deal. Or maybe we even abuse grace and say, well, it's all under grace and, and, and I don't have to worry about that. But he does remove the guilt. Remember, the Holy Spirit doesn't condemn us. He convicts us. There's a giant difference between those two words. He convicts us of our sin. That way we can repent, that we can turn and we can trust in Christ and turn from what we are trusting in in place. No longer do we have to defend our righteousness when people near us lovingly confront us with, our, with a wrong. We can accept that and we know that that is love from them. We don't have to be offended. Why? Because it's all under the blood of Christ. It's all under the blood. Redeeming grace has freed us from these burdens. Jesus took our guilt and gave us his perfect obedience. Yes, do we still fall short? Yes. But when God, is, as Nate said, as God looks down on us, he sees Christ's righteousness. Now, can we flip that and live that way? How, how free would you be if... if if you weren't all bound up by guilt thinking, oh, I've done this wrong or I've done that wrong or what does that person think of me or I have to strive to get this so that this person thinks that of me, we can let it go. Second thing is we no longer do we have to carry the burden of shame. And Paul Tripp says it this way, Jesus shamed shame on the cross so that we would no longer live in bondage to it. We are no longer stained, no longer dirty, no longer scarred by sin. Because Christ's righteousness, we are the children of the King. We are His children. And what happened? What happened in this exchange? Jesus took our shame and He gave us His honor. He gave us His honor. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father praying for us right now. He is our elder brother, the firstborn into this new family that he's creating. Not only does it free us from guilt, does it free us from shame, but it also frees us from the burden of fear. It frees us from the burden of fear. Because Christ's righteousness, we are no longer enemies of God. We are no longer enemies of God because we are rebellious humans. We are now his children. We've been brought into the family. God is for us. And if God is for us, who can stand against us? Do we believe that on an everyday functioning level? This means we are never left alone, never left to our own wisdom and our own strength, and never left to the few things we can actually control. Because we spend a lot of time reaching for things that we can't control when we need just to give them to him and trust him as he's leading and guiding us. We as children living under the unshakable security of God's provision and protection. His provision and protection as a child of God. No matter where you are, who you are with, and no matter what we are facing, the Lord Almighty is with us. 
Freedom from the bondage of guilt, shame, and fear is ours in the justifying grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We carry these burdens no longer because, as an act of justifying grace, Jesus has lifted them off of our shoulders. They're no longer ours to carry. I mean, many of you have probably seen Pilgrim's Progress, and he's carrying the burden with him. What a great picture. It's no longer yours to carry. It's no longer yours to carry. But we know if Jesus is not the Son of God, none of this is true of us. This is why Luke is bringing us these testimonies. Because what you believe about this affects everything. It'll affect your emotions. It'll affect how you do choices. It affects our faith. So that we may believe is what Luke is telling us. So that we may believe. And there is no more authoritative testimony than the one that comes in verse 22. There's no more more authoritative testimony. But before we get to that testimony, I had another question. (laughs) Why does Luke mention that Jesus was praying when the heavens opened and the Spirit came and God spoke? That's not found in any of the other accounts. So why did Luke put this here? And, and really, this is, this is just so that we're prepping ourselves for the, the rest of the book of Luke. This is the idea that whenever you're, you're studying a book, you're seeing the tendencies of an author and what he's trying to communicate, what he's trying to accomplish. So why did Luke put this in here that, that Jesus is praying? All right, none of the other Gospels tells us this. And why does he need to point this out? But what we will see is throughout the book of Luke, as we continue to walk through the book of Luke, Luke loves to give us the picture of Jesus in prayer. He does it a lot. All the crucial turning points of of Jesus' life, we find him doing something, praying. Now, the Son of God praying all the time. Why do we humans think that we can go even through a day without pausing to pray. That's a hard one. It's, it's a hard one. I, I, I often think that, yeah, we get bored with, with our prayers sometimes as, as we teach, as, as Marty has taught us at several different times about praying through the Bible. We kind of get bored with saying the same old thing, the same old thing. But you know what? I, I really truly believe that oftentimes it's because we go to this as a book and words instead of going to it as a person wanting to communicate to us. And that is the same thing with prayer. God's a real person. I know this like, when I say that, I feel like I'm, you know, like I'm pushing you guys down, but I'm not trying to do that. He's a real person. It's incredible that you can talk to him, the God, the creator of the universe. But we see in all through Luke that that he points out him praying at his baptism, which we have here, when he selects the 12, when Peter's confession at the transfiguration, Gethsemane, the cross, Jesus prays before something happens. He tells us Jesus went repeatedly to the wilderness to pray and that he went whole nights in prayer. The point of this must be to show that even Jesus' life, there is a correlation between earnest prayer and the blessings of God. And the blessings of God. 
And remember, oftentimes that blessing does not come by changing your circumstances, but it comes by changing you. So that as you walk through your circumstances, you see them with a new lens and you see what God is doing in that situation. Reminding you that you are free from guilt, you are free from shame, and you are free from fear. Just the very fact that you can spend time with the Father is a blessing furnished by Jesus Christ. What a blessing. So Jesus prays, and God the Father testifies. We see this in verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Father steps vocally out of glory to testify that the child about whom there had been some question is indeed his son. This is my son, if there's any doubt. The fullness of God, all three persons of the Trinity, unites in revealing Jesus Christ as Son's God. Christ Jesus, who had been the Father's Son from all eternity past, will be the Father's Son for all eternity future. This young man, who has reached the proper age to be launched into ministry, about 30 years old, who is God the Son incarnate, is the Son who pleases His Father. He pleases His Father. Do you wish to know what pleases God? It is his son. He just told us. He is well pleased with his son. The father looks at Jesus, calls him his son, and says, I am well pleased. If you are in Christ, by faith, you are his child. And brothers and sisters, he is pleased with you. Not because you're awesome. Not because the way you look or how much money you have or your position, but because of Christ. You know what that means? We can lay all that stuff down. That is not our identity. That is not who we are. We are in Christ. If you are in Christ by faith, you are his child and he is pleased with you. All that Jesus has done to please the Father has become ours through our union with Christ through faith. You have every right to fight any nagging doubts and whispers that come along and suggest God is not happy with you. So many times we have that. Sometimes some of us have it on recording. It's like, can someone just break the record, please? He's not happy with me. I don't measure up. I don't do good enough. I always fail. I'm always sinning. What am I doing? No, he's pleased with you. Yeah, the the Spirit might be trying to get you to, to move and change something in your life, sure. But he is pleased with you because of what Christ has done. We do not have to shudder and cower for fear of harsh word of rebuke from God ever if we are in Christ through faith. Because all that comes down at the cross. But we can joyfully and confidently expect to hear now that we are in Christ, our words similar to those spoken at the Lord's baptism. I am pleased with you because of Christ. I am pleased with you because of Christ. Jesus is God's son and God is pleased with him because we are in him through faith. God is pleased with us. 
Now, this text is obviously Trinitarian, as I've already alluded to. At Jesus' baptism, all the persons of the Godhead are present. God the Son is baptized, God the Father speaks from heaven, and God the Holy Spirit descends on the Son like a dove. Kind of like the picture behind me. Belief in the Trinity was one of the things that makes us Christian. The historical Christian church has always understood the Trinity to be foundational to who God is and foundational to the faith. So those who deny the Trinity actually deny the Christian faith. They deny who God really is and by the then denial prove that they do not truly know who God is because this is who God is. Danny Aiken, I, I thought, said this well. He says, the reality of the Trinity mystifies us and exceeds our intelligence. But praise God, for if we could completely comprehend God, then he would not be God, we would be. Let's just say that again. The reality of the Trinity mystifies us and exceeds our understanding, our intelligence. But praise God, for if we could completely comprehend God, then he would not be God. We would be. We would be. And, and so oftentimes we, we slide down that slippery slope, don't we? Where there's some things about God that we, we don't understand and we set aside our faith and we hang on reason and then it kind of makes a divide between us and God. But no, we, we trust him. There's so much about God that we cannot answer. He's given us his plan in his word of how salvation is going to happen. So now we've heard the testimony of John and the testimony of God, the Father. Now in verses 23 through 38, we come to the testimony of the genealogy. No, I'm not going to read it for us. You can do that on on your time, yes? So the genealogy is the DNA evidence proving that only Jesus is the Christ. It follows from one. I mean, many of us have probably done it now that we have technology that can do it, that we send in and we get DNA things and we look at our family trees and we see who we're related to. Do we come from royalty? Do we come from this side of the family? Am I this? Am I that? Um, So we kind of understand how the genealogy thing works a little bit better because of our technology today. So now, some people want to discredit the genealogy as, as witness because of the differences in Matthew's and Luke's listings. But it's not really, I mean, you can, you, we could spend hours going down this rabbit hole, but let's just try to get something that we can, you know, be confident in and that everybody agrees with. Um, and that's this. Why is there a difference? Um, Again, this can be very complicated, but what I think is happening is the writers are writing those genealogies for two different reasons and for two different audiences. They're writing them for two different reasons and two different audiences. Matthew is clearly speaking to Jewish people. This is his main audience for his whole gospel accounts, right? I mean, like the big overarching thing is, is king. He's the king. He's the king. He's trying to show the Jewish people that... He's the king is one of the main thrusts there in, in Matthew. 
So he's speaking to Jewish people. So what did the Jewish people want to know? Well, how is Jesus related to Abraham? Because that's where they go. That's the father of their, right? That's the beginning of theirs. So that's why I believe, and, and so many others that I've read and studied believe that that's why Matthew stops at Abraham. The Jewish people want to know how Jesus is connected to Father Abraham. So that's why he goes back from there and has the people he has in his. Luke writing to Gentiles predominantly and is interested in the inclusion of all men. That's why he sees all men. He's kind of writing to Gentiles. I want to show you that the gospel is for all men. Um, Jesus is not just the son of Abraham. He is the son of Adam. He is a man. Right? He is a man. So Matthew is tracing Jesus' genealogy through Joseph, where Luke is tracing Jesus' genealogy through Mary. Luke writes to show that Jesus is the Messiah promised by God and that his claim is fulfilled through his mother. This helps make sense of Genesis 3.15, right? I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It also kind of makes sense of Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So two different reasons, two different audiences. That's kind of why they are different. But what they are is they're showing us, they're giving us DA evidence that he is who he says he is later on, that he is the son of God. The genealogy helps Luke fulfill his purpose in writing the gospel. His desire is to, to write a orderly sequence so that you may have certainty. So that you may have certainty. Certainty that he is the Son of God. Certainty that he fulfilled all righteousness. Certainty that you have been freed from the bondage of guilt, shame, and fear if by faith you trust in Jesus as your Savior. If you are in Christ through faith, you are his child. And he is well pleased with you because of his son, Jesus Christ. The passage that Sam read for us today reminds us. Verses 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is of the Father's side, he has made him known. He has made him known. So the question I have for you guys today is really a simple one. Do you believe the testimony? Do you believe the testimony that Jesus is the Son of God? His righteousness has been credited to you if you trust in him. Do you believe the testimony that we have been given that Jesus is the son of God? Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you are pleased with us if we are in Christ through faith. Lord, I pray if I pray for those that may be carrying burdens today. Overwhelming guilt or shame or fear of maybe the week that's coming ahead, Lord. I pray that they can give those things to you, Lord. Know that God the Father is pleased with us because of what Christ has done. Lord, I pray if there's anyone that does not know you, Lord, I pray that today they have heard what Christ has done. That they will see in the elements of the sacraments of the communion and in baptism that we get to see what you have done. That you saved sinners. That you saved us. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here that does not know you, Lord, you would send the Spirit to change their heart so they may see you for who you truly are. And they would turn from whatever they might be trusting in and, and trust in you. And for those that have, I pray that we are reminded today that you are pleased with us. You are pleased of us, with us because of Christ. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.